through a series on the subject of the Godhead, and we are not finished with that series. Uh, in fact, we're continuing on with that today, but I'm going to use a different verse of Scripture for my text uh, than what we have been using just because of the uh, the focus and the purpose of today's lesson. And uh, I don't know that we'll finish it today, so today and perhaps next week, Lord willing, but however long it takes us, um, I'm going to use a little different text uh, today. So 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to read just one verse of Scripture, 1 Peter chapter 3, and verse number 15. 1 Peter 3, verse 15. Matt, the Apostle Peter wrote, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Praise God. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Be ready always. Everyone say, be ready. Be ready. Always to give an answer. Now, this, this letter written by the Apostle Peter, was not written just to preachers. It was written to saints. And so, the words that are penned here are not instructions for preachers. Hallelujah. Oh, it's, it's too quiet this morning. Um, but this is an apostolic mandate. It's written by an apostle. It makes it apostolic. It is a clear command. He didn't say, I, I would like for you to, or it'd be nice if you did. It's just a statement of absolute direction. Be ready always. To give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. This is a clear command in the scripture. And we need to take it as a command. And we need to do something about it. We need to be prepared to give an answer. To everybody that asks. And by giving an answer, he didn't mean let me call my pastor and ask him. That's not the answer he had in mind. Hallelujah. He meant for you to be able to provide an answer on your own. And so this is important for us. We're going to talk about this in just a moment. I know you're standing. Why don't we put our Bibles down? Let's lift our hands. Lift our voices. Let's ask the Lord to help us today. Amen. We still need a spirit of revelation to be in here today. Amen. I want you to pray that God would send that spirit of revelation to anyone who needs it today. Let's talk to the Lord together, everybody, can we?
Jesus' name, could we worship him one more time? Everybody, before you're seated, come on, let's just worship him. Let's worship him from the bottom of our hearts today. Can we do that? Let's worship him. That's it. Lift your voices to the Lord. Lift your voices to the Lord. Hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Amen. Now, as I said, over the last several weeks, we have we've discussed the subject of the Godhead. Before I get to my text today, I want to, again, do a little review. And as I've said before, I hope you don't get tired of this review. Uh, this is... This is uh, helping us to get it down inside of our hearts, to hear it over and over and over again. Amen. So that we will know it. Amen. I'm telling you, church, honestly, if, we, if you can get these four principles, and you'll just think back on these four principles, then any question that you are asked about the Godhead, you can have an answer. Because the answer is found in one of these four principles. Oh, hallelujah. Or a combination of them. So let's talk about it here again just very quickly. This morning, uh, let's, let's review. First of all, uh, I, I spent some time showing you most theologians today tell you the Godhead is a complicated and mysterious subject, and it's too difficult for you to even understand. They, in fact, will tell you not to waste your time trying to understand it, that you have to just accept it by faith. The problem with that is that's the exact opposite of what the Apostle Paul had to say on the subject of the Godhead. So let's review this verse again, Romans 1 and 20. This ought to be a key verse. This ought to be marked in your Bibles. This ought to be marked in your Bibles. If you mark your Bibles. And I think it's a good idea to do that. And uh, if you've got yours with you, you ought to open it up and mark it now. If you haven't done so, Romans 1 and 20 needs to be marked. This is crucial. Romans 1 and 20. Read. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. All right. Are what? Help me this morning, church. Are what? Clearly seen. Clearly seen. Being understood Being by what? the things. Understood. Being what? Understood. Understood. By the things that are made. Uh-huh. Even his eternal his power, eternal power and Godhead. And Godhead. Godhead. Read. So that they, so are, without that they are without excuse. So the Apostle Paul did not tell us that the Godhead is too complicated and too mysterious for you to be able to grasp. He said, this is clearly seen, it is understood, and there is no excuse for not understanding it. Right. It's that simple. 
So we've gone through four basic Bible principles uh, that uh, uh, should help us understand the Godhead. The first one, the first one is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Now, look, I, I, I just, I'm going to just throw this out there. I, uh, you know, th- there are times when early on in study, I knew there were things that I was going to need to come back to. And, you know, something just, just occurred to me. Some of you might want to might start. Um, if, if you want to start at Romans 1 and 20, but you need to have a starting place. You're going to talk to somebody about the Godhead, all right? Then, then have a starting place to talk about it. And I think Romans 1 20 is the best place. Because you can start right there and tell them this is not a complicated subject. Now, what I'd recommend is right there in the margin somewhere, on, on, on that page where Romans 1 20 is, write number one, Deuteronomy 6 4. All right? That lets you know, if you can find Romans 1.20, you've got that marked in your Bible, then you know. All right, I'm going to teach them about the Godhead. The first thing I'm going to do is take them to Deuteronomy 6 and 4. This is what we call a chain reference. All right? All you've got to do is remember one scripture. And then you've got it marked from there. All right? So you're going to take them then to Deuteronomy 6 and 4, which is the first principle. Deuteronomy 6 and 4 says, Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God is what? He is one Lord. Amen. Put verse 4 back up there if you would. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is... Help me here, church. The Lord our God is... He's one Lord. So principle number one, there's only one God. There's only one God. Amen. Whatever else you're going to believe, you cannot contradict Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Jesus said in Mark chapter 12, this is the most important passage in the scripture. It's the most important commandment in the word of God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. So we cannot contradict that. There's only one God. Now, out in the margin, if you're creating this chain reference, you can write number two and write John 4.24. John 4.24. So do you understand what we're doing here? You just find Romans 1.20, and then it will take you to each of the next verses, each of the next principles, as long as you know what the principle is in that verse. All right? Principle number two, John 4 and 24 says, God is a spirit. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. All right, now, in verse 23, he's talking about the Father. And so verse 24, the subject doesn't change. When he says God is a spirit, he's talking about the Father. The Father is a spirit. That's principle number two. The Father is a spirit. So every time that we read about the Father in the Bible, we don't think a person. We don't think about an old man in, in, in a, uh, with, with long white hair and a, a flowing beard sitting on a throne. That's not the Father. He's not a person. The Father is a spirit. All right? The Father's a spirit. So when we read Father, we think spirit. Some of you a little slow this morning. All right. When we read Father, we think spirit. Uh, you still hadn't caught up. We'll get there. All right. So then uh, when you're at John 4 and 24, you're at number 3, and, and that's going to take you. The next verse is going to take you to is Luke 1 and 35. Luke 1 and 35 uh, gives us principle number 3. 
And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. Holy Ghost is going to come upon you. And the power Power of the the highest 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 is going to overshadow you. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. God. So only that which was born of Mary was known as the Son of God. Mary did not give birth to a spirit. Right? Jesus said in John chapter 3 and verse 6 that that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which was born of Mary. Mary was not a spirit. Mary was flesh. That which is born of flesh is So that which was born of Mary was flesh. So the Son of God is that which was born of Mary. When we read about the Son, we should think, oh, come on, church. Come on, come on. Somebody said, you know, poke your neighbor and and, uh, tell him to wake up. I'm about to the place where I'm going to say poke your neighbor in the eye and tell him we walk by faith and not by sight. Hallelujah. Amen. Make a good poke in the eye. I'll get you awake this morning. So when we read Father, we think. When we read Son, we think. Flesh. All right? So we keep this in mind. Principle number three, the Son was born of Mary. The Son was flesh. Father is spirit. The Son is flesh. Now, beside Luke 135, you can write number four, which is 2 Corinthians 5, 19. 2 Corinthians 5 and 19. To it that God to is that in Christ. God. Now, God is referring to the Father, which is the Spirit. To it that the Spirit was in Christ. That's referring to the Son, which is the flesh. To it that the Spirit was in the flesh, reconciling the world unto himself. There is the Godhead. Right. Jesus Christ was not two persons. He was one who had spirit and flesh. The spirit dwelling in him was called the Father. The flesh that held the spirit is called the Son. He had a dual nature. He was both human and divine. He could act as God or he could act as man. He could speak as the Father or he could speak as the Son. Hallelujah. Now, that's not two different persons. The Father's not one person and the Son another person. Amen. We went through several scriptures last week showing there's only one throne in heaven and there's only one sitting on the throne. Now, today, Lord willing, if we get to it today, if we get to it today, we're going to deal with Jesus on the right hand of the Father. All right? If we get to that today, we'll deal with it today. If not, we'll deal with it next week, Lord willing. But uh But we know that both Isaiah and John were allowed to see into heaven, and when they looked into heaven, they saw one throne and one sitting on the throne. There's not three persons in heaven. Right. Hallelujah. There is one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is... One Lord. One Lord. He's only one Lord. Amen. The Lord our God is one Lord. And this is the way we identify the man Christ Jesus. On the outside, he's flesh. That's the Son. On the inside, he's spirit. That's the Father. Right. All right. That is the Godhead. Now, having said all of that, let's go back and look at our text. 
First Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. Read it for me again. But sanctify the Lord in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. All right. Now, look at this verse for just a moment. As I said, this is an apostolic mandate. This is a commandment in the Scripture. Hallelujah. Would you do me a favor, Jerome? Would you become my official amen corner this morning? And if I'm looking around, would you just holler amen? All right. Because I'm, I'm having a hard time this morning. All right. Let's, let's do this again. All right. He said, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and do what? Do what? Be ready. When? Always. Be ready. Always. For what? To give an answer. To whom? To every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that lies within you. Now, this is a command from the Apostle Peter, the same one who gave us the command to repent, be baptized in Jesus' name, and receive the Holy Ghost, has given us another command. And that is that we be ready to answer everybody that asks us. Hallelujah. We need to have answers. We need to know the Scripture. Now, one commentator said that this phrase, be ready always, means that, first of all, you should be able to do it. In this word ready, it it speaks of preparation, all right? This word ready speaks of preparation. You've got to be able to do it. You've got to have reasons within you uh, so that you can state them. You've got to know why you believe what you believe. The answer is not just this is what our church teaches. The answer is not, this is what our pastor teaches. The answer has got to be, this is what the Bible teaches. All right, so that's in being ready. It speaks of preparation. It speaks of ability. You've got to be able to give an answer. But he said the second thing is, you've got to be willing to state those reasons on all proper occasions. So it's more than just being prepared. You've got a responsibility to apply yourselves, first of all, to study until you are adequately prepared, uh, prepared, but you also have to be willing to do it. Don't let an opportunity pass by. Look for the chance to tell somebody about this glorious truth. I'm telling you, church, everything we believe hinges on this doctrine. Everything hinges on this doctrine. That there's only one God. And if they can get a revelation of this, you've got no problem with anything else. You're not going to have a problem getting to be baptized in Jesus' name if they understand there's only one. Right? And so, we've got to be ready, we've got to be able, and we've got to be willing. Praise God. All right? Now, I can't really do much about the willingness part. But I can try to help you with the preparedness. Amen. I can encourage you, I can try to motivate you, I can preach to you, but whether or not you're willing is ultimately your decision. But I can try to give you the tools that perhaps you'll feel more confident, and that confidence will allow you to be more willing. 
All right, so this is what we want to do. Now, this doesn't take away from your responsibility as found in 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word unto truth. All right, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study. Everyone say study. Everyone say study. Amen. This is also an apostolic mandate. This is something we must be doing. We need to be studying the scriptures. We need to be studying the scriptures. Amen. You know, God has opened opportunities and doors for me uh, to, to speak to young people a lot over the last year or so, uh, probably the last two years. Uh, I've spoken at a number of youth camps and, and, and uh, youth meetings, and men are warning me. In fact, I'm, I'm going to Elder Garrett's in just a few weeks. Uh, they've got a youth convention, a spring youth convention, and, and when he called me, he said, Brother Regan, I want you to come. I want you to teach doctrine. I want these young people to get this down in their hearts. Amen. And you know what I'm telling young people? I'm telling them, I was, I was 12 years old when God filled me with the Holy Ghost. Nobody else in my family living for God. I didn't have a mom and dad encouraging me. I wasn't enrolled in a Christian school. All right? But I'm telling you, by the time I was 14, I was able to put together eight pages on why we baptize in Jesus' name. At the age of 14. Some of you have been raised in church. Your mom and dads are in church. You've got a lot more potential than what I have ever had. And yet, to be honest, some of you couldn't put together one page. On why we baptize in Jesus' name. I'm telling you the truth. That's got to change. Something's got to happen. You've got to fall in love with this message. You've got to get the love in your heart that I've got in mind. In fact, it ought to go beyond even what I've got. I want to love it more than what I love it, Brother Thompson. I'm telling you, we've got to get a love for this thing. Amen. The Apostle Paul said, because they received not a love for the truth, that's why God sent strong delusion. Wasn't just because they didn't know it or didn't obey it, but they didn't love it. We gotta love this truth. So I'm telling you, if I could do it, I know you can do it. I'm not of superior intelligence. I, uh, somebody said you could probably measure my IQ with a tire gauge. Somebody can catch that later, but anyhow. Um, but I'm, I'm just telling you, if I can do it, I know you can. I know you can. It's just a matter of do you love it enough to spend the time to study it out. Take some time to get your Bible down and get a hold of it. And you adults are not exempt from this. You're not exempt from this. Amen. Uh, you, you need to get a hold of this as well. You need to be able to explain it. All right, study to show thyself approved unto God. How many of you want to be approved by God? You want God's approval? Well, here's a key to getting God's approval. Study! All right, now, let's, let's go back to our text. First Peter 3.15 he said, sanctify the Lord God your hearts. Be ready always to give an 
A what? A what? Give an answer. I want to focus on this word for just a moment here this morning. This word answer comes from the Greek word apologia. It is the word from which we get our English word apology. Okay? Apology. Now, uh, in English, the word apology has taken on a different connotation over the last uh, several years. And, and now an apology means uh, that you are... Um, that you regret and you're sorry for something and, and you're trying to make it right. But, but the word apology didn't mean that in the beginning. Uh, in fact, there is a whole study of Scripture that is called apologetics. You ever see that word used? You ever see somebody's called a, a biblical apologist? Maybe you've never seen that, but the word apologetics or being an apologist, this doesn't mean somebody that goes around saying they're sorry for what we believe. But the word apology is to defend something. That's what the word, the Greek word means. It means to provide a defense. In fact, the King James Bible translates the same word that Peter used as answer. To give an answer, the King James uses that very same Greek word uh, and 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 uh, translates it as the word defense in Acts 2.21, uh, Philippians 1.7, Philippians 1.17. Uh, they use the word answer in Acts 25.16, 1 Corinthians 9.3, uh, uh, 2 Timothy 4.16, 1 Peter 3.15. The word answer and defense were used interchangeably by the translators. I don't know why. But this word means to defend. And this is what Peter saying. Be ready always to give a defense. To defend what you believe. All right? It's not just an answer, but it's a defense. In fact, Jude uses this same idea. He puts it in in much stronger terms. Jude uh, chapter 1 verse 3 says this. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you to the common salvation, or of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly... That you should... Now look at this. That you should... Earnestly... Earnestly... Contend for the faith. for the faith. Which was once which was delivered, once delivered you, the under the saints. Amen. Jude said, I'm writing to you. I'm exhorting you. I want you to earnestly contend. Fight for. Defend. I want you to do whatever you've got to do to make sure that if somebody doesn't agree with this or doesn't understand it, you've got enough scripture in you that you can give them the answer that they need. And when somebody comes and throws something at you that says, but what about this verse? You can defend this doctrine. You can contend for this message. 
I'm telling you, church, I am so disturbed. Look, you're living in a cocoon. You don't realize it. You're living in a cocoon. But even among our own apostolic brethren, more and more, the walls and the barriers are coming down, and they're throwing their arms around people who don't believe this message and calling them brother and saying everything's okay. We just look at things a little differently. I'm telling you, somebody has got to get something down in their hearts in this hour where they love this message enough that they're willing to stand and fight for it. And I'm not just talking about preachers. Because I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Social media being what it is. No doubt many of you are connected to people who claim to believe what we believe. You have to deal with a bunch of nonsense. I'm telling you, some of the stuff that I see get posted. I don't know. I, I hate to even get into it. I, I, there, there is circulating this video of one well-known televangelist explaining the Godhead. And so-called apostolics are going crazy over his definition of the Godhead. And I'm telling you, the definition is as weak as I've ever heard. Anybody, oneness, trinity, it doesn't matter. Anybody can accept the way he defines it. And they think it's great. And it's not great. It's not even good. But people don't understand. Somebody has got to stand up and say, hey, wait a minute. Somebody's got to understand what the scripture really says about all of this. James said, I want you to earnestly contend for the faith. That doesn't sound like we just kind of hold our peace and be mealy-mouthed and, and, uh, and tuck our heads. I know that's not what the world is pushing for today. The world is pushing everybody come together. I told you about the phone call I received last week with some preacher. Well, let's just, you know, it would be nice if we could just forget all the differences and, and just all get along and, and, and worship together. And I said, you know, that's fine as long as there aren't major differences. But there are some things we can't just forget about. There are some things we can't just let go of. I listened to an interview this week of a well-known preacher who's now deceased as he made the statement, anybody that has a love for Jesus is saved, and they may not even know it, but they're still saved. I'm telling you, somebody better stand up for truth. How can you be saved and not even know it? He said they might be Muslim, they might be Buddhist, they might be Mormon. How? How can you say things like that? I'm not here to throw stones, but I am here to defend the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're not going to be saved believing Buddha is the right way. You're not going to be saved trying to follow Muhammad. I'm sorry if that offends somebody, but it's the truth. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life, and nobody's coming to the Father but by me. Hallelujah. Somebody's got to stand up for what's right. And Jude said, you need to earnestly contend for this faith. You need to earnestly contend for this faith. So, so, um, in fact, another translation 
says, I must write and ask you to defend the faith. Uh, Another translation says, I found it necessary to write to you and urge you to continue, continue your vigorous defense of the faith. He said, not just contend for it, but earnestly. It was the earnestly, earnestly contend for the faith. So, this is what I want to do. Today, however many weeks that it takes us, I don't think it'll take us more than, than this week and next, but you never know. Um, but I, I, wanted, I started last week, uh, we started looking at a couple of questions that uh, I've gotten in the teachings that I'm doing in Africa or in my dealings and my Bible studies that I've taught uh, here in America. Questions, they're common questions. Uh, and so I really thought it would be good if instead of going back to Matthew 16 where we've been on our study of the Godhead, if we started with First Peter today and, and just I let everybody know we've got an obligation to be ready to give an answer or to stand in defense of the gospel to everybody that asks. We've got an obligation. And so uh, that's why I'm going to take uh, as many Sundays as necessary to present you with some of these questions that I've been asked and give you a biblical answer. And listen, church, that's the key, and that's what you need to do. You know, the Bible says we need to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We don't just go around slapping people with truth. Amen. But we need to be wise about it. We need to know what we're doing. We need to be, we need to be wise in he that winneth souls is wise, the Bible says. So we've got to be wise in what we're doing. Amen. But, but we need to, we need to stress to them when a question comes up, the first thing out of your mouth ought to be, well, let me answer you out of the scriptures. Not, well, let me tell you what I think. Because quite honestly, what I think What you think really doesn't matter. It's what does the Bible say that matters. So don't start with, well, here's what I think, or here's the way I see it. Start with, let's see what the Bible says. Hallelujah. So we're going to try to give you some biblical answers to some of these questions today, all right? And uh, I've already used a good bit of my time just in setting this up. So I don't know how many of these we'll get to today. But but it's going to be different. All right, everybody's with me. I, I think you know, in fact, I heard uh, one man way back years ago, some of you uh, that have been around for a while will remember when we used to teach the Excel classes uh, here at the church. And uh, brother, brother Todd Nance would come over from Kansas City, and he and I uh, go down in the basement, and we had a number of students that were coming from all over the Kansas City area and we were teaching these classes, uh, and Brother Nance would usually teach the first class, and then I'd come in and teach the second class. And, uh, and at the uh, end of these classes, somebody made the comment, said, you know, the, the style in teaching is so different, because they said, Brother Nance comes in and said, he just lays out a whole buffet of things, and, and, and he talks about all kinds of different things and presents all these things, and, and it's all good. He said, then Brother Riggins steps in, and he said, he just, he's got one point he wants to drive home, and he's going to spend the night driving that point home, and he's going to give you everything you need to be convinced of that point. And, and so those of you that have been around, you know that's my style. So it's going to be a little different because I'm not just dealing with one thing, but I'm going to take a question and then I'm going to respond to it. Now, it's still driving home the one point. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. All right? But it just is coming from different angles. So it's going to be a little different than you're used to. You're already struggling this morning to stay with me. So, so, so make sure you, you're ready to roll and you've, you've got this. We're going to just, I'm going to take questions that have been given to me and I'm going to respond from the scripture. All right? Got your Bible ready? All right. We're going to start. We're going to start this morning with a question that comes from the book of Matthew chapter 3 and verse, uh, verses 16 and 17. Matthew chapter 3 verses 16 and 17. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. All right. So the question uh, that, that is, and, and I say question, I mean, really, it's, uh, I guess it's not a question so much as it is an argument. The argument that is presented to me from these verses of Scripture is that in this setting of Jesus being baptized in the Jordan River, this is a clear depiction of the three persons of the Godhead. For you have the Son who is in the water being baptized. You have the Holy Spirit descending as a dove. And you have the Father speaking from heaven with a voice. And so the argument is that's three persons. All right? Now, that's the argument. The problem is I don't see three persons. Now, Excluding John, John was there to baptize Jesus. Excluding John, in this story, I only see one person. I only see one person in this story. Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. That's the only person I see. Now, look. John saw these things and, and uh, made mention of what he had seen. John saw. He baptized Jesus. He saw the Spirit descending like a dove. But now let's back up. He saw the what? The what? A Spirit is not a person. He didn't see a person descending like a dove. He saw the Spirit descending like a dove. Hallelujah. And then, in verse 17, it doesn't say, I heard a person. But lo, a voice. Now, let me tell you, first of all, from the Scripture, John chapter 1, verses 33 uh, and 34, John's own testimony about what's taking place here, John 1, 33 and 34, here's what he says. I knew, and I knew him not. I knew him not. But he that, he that sent, sent me, me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, upon all right, whom... Now, 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 wait. John is saying that he didn't recognize who Jesus was. He knew he was Jesus. They're related, all right? They're, they're, they're kin, according to the flesh. But he's saying, I didn't really recognize just who this really was. But 
He said, I did know this, that when God called me to baptize, he told me something. And here's what God told me. Upon whom thou Upon shalt, whom see, the spirit thou shalt see the Spirit and descending and remaining on him, the same, the same is, he is he which baptizeth, which baptizeth with, the Holy, with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and, I saw, and bear record, and I bear that, record this is the Son that this of God. is the Son of God. I'm telling you that what happened in the Jordan River that day was not to prove to us that there's a trinity. It was to prove to John that Jesus was more than just his cousin. It was to prove to John that this was the Messiah. He'd grown up with him. He'd probably played games at family reunions. He'd seen him. He was familiar with him. But he needed to know this is more than what you're seeing on the outside. But on the inside of him, there is a power you've never known. This is not just Jesus, the son of Joseph. But this is Jesus, the son of God. And God said, I'm going to give you a visible sign so you don't have any question in your mind as to who this is. So God allowed him to see an image, the spirit descending like a dove. All right? He did not see a person. He did not see a person. And he did not see a person speaking from heaven. He didn't look up on the cloud and see the Father get up off his throne and, and, and drape that beard over the cloud and look down there and say, this is my beloved son. No, he's standing in the water. He's baptizing Jesus. He sees something that is, that is in the atmosphere, and it looks like a dove descending down. And it rests upon this one he's baptizing, and then he hears a voice. Now listen to me. If every voice means a person, then we've got some real problems. Because we're going to have to add the burning bush to the Godhead. Because there was a voice. That spoke out of that burning bush. Is that another person in the Godhead? Or how about this? If you're caught up on your Bible reading. It hadn't been that long ago. You read about Balaam. When his donkey spoke. Are we going to put the donkey in the Godhead too? Is the donkey a person? Well it's a voice. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, there was one person that John saw. One person and one person only. And that was the person of Jesus Christ. He didn't see the person of the Holy Spirit or the person of the Father. He saw a depiction of the Spirit and he heard the voice of the Father. But I want, to, I want you to go back and look at what it was the Father said. In, in first John, I'm, I'm sorry, in John chapter 1, uh, no, I'm sorry. Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. Let's go back and look at we'll Go back and read that. I don't think it's listed again. But, but Matthew 3 and 17, I want you to go back and look at what it was the voice said. And lo, a voice, a from, voice heaven from heaven space, saying, This, is my, this is my beloved son. In whom I am well pleased. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Is that what he said? With whom I am well pleased. He didn't say with whom. 
He didn't use the term with. Now, look, we don't talk that way. We don't say, I'm pleased in you. Right? We say, I'm pleased with you. But when the Father spoke, he didn't say, I'm pleased with the Son. He said, I'm pleased in the Son. Because the Father was in the Son. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world for himself. You say, now wait a minute, if God the Father was in the Son, how did he speak from heaven? I'll tell you how. Because God is omnipresent. He is everywhere at the same time. Though he was in the Son, though he was moving across the face of the earth, he was also in heaven at the very same time. Right. In fact, listen to what Jesus himself said in John chapter 3 and verse number 13. While he's talking to Nicodemus, Jesus is standing on the earth talking to Nicodemus. John 3 and 13, but listen to what he says. And no man hath ascended up to heaven. No man has ascended to heaven. But he that came down from heaven. heaven. Listen to this. Even the Son of of Man which is in heaven. Which? 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 That's present tense. While he is speaking to Nicodemus, he said, you're looking at my earthly body. But I want to tell you something, Nicodemus. This is not all to me that there is. I may be standing on the earth, but I'm telling you, I also right now am in heaven. Oh, hallelujah. No other person could do that. But Jesus plainly said it. If we believe every word of the scripture, then when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, he wasn't just on earth. He was in heaven. And if he was in heaven, he could speak from heaven. It didn't require a second person for us to get that voice coming down out of heaven. Well, praise God. Hallelujah. His fleshly body was on earth. But the spirit that indwelt that body filled heaven and earth and still does. Praise God. All right. Next argument. Um, and I should have, I should have, uh, let's, I'll tell you what, go to John 3.16. This is not in the notes. I should have, I should have given you an example of this. There are many, many examples where a couple of words are used uh, with regard to the relationship between the Father and the Son. And um, somehow in my notes, I neglected to put one of those down. So we'll just use John 3.16. It's one we're all familiar with. It's only one example of these things being used. All right. Uh, and this is only one of the two words, two different words that are used that, that, that um, those who believe in the doctrine of the Trinity want to make a big deal out of these two words as proof that there's more than one person. So let's look at one of these, John, John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave that his he, only minute, begotten. That he, that, he, that he gave. All right. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. All right. Other places, the scripture talks about how the father sent the son. Those two words are big to Trinitarians. The Father sent the Son. The Father gave the Son. They say the fact that the Father gave the Son or sent the Son says that there were two persons in heaven and the Father sent or gave his Son. All right? What I want to do is I want to take you to some scriptures 
And let's apply that same rule to more scriptures. Are you with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? If, if the fact that God gave his son means that there was a father and son in heaven, and the father gave a pre-existent son, if that's what that word means, then let's take that same rule and apply it to other scriptures. And let's see what we get. All right? How about John chapter 1 and verse number 6? There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Yeah. So the Bible speaks of the Father sending the Son. And they say that proves that he was already in heaven and the Father sent him down here. All right? Well, the Bible also says about John the Baptist, there was a man who was sent from God. So are you going to tell me John the Baptist was in heaven before he was born? Is that what sent from God means? Obviously not. When the Bible refers to someone being sent from God, amen, it is, it is simply a reference to the fact that God is the one directing them, that the Spirit is leading them. It doesn't mean they pre-existed in heaven. Are you understanding? There was a man sent from God, and his name was John. So God didn't walk through the portals of heaven and say, oh, here's John the Baptist. He's already here. He's already created. We're going to send him down to earth now. The Mormons believe that, but we don't believe that. All right? We don't believe that we're babies up in heaven and God sends us down to earth. We don't believe that. John was not sent from heaven. He was anointed by God and sent on a mission after he was here on earth. All right? So so let's not take those terms. The the other one is giving. Let's look at Genesis chapter 17 and verses 15 and 16. And God said unto Abraham, As for Sarah thy wife, Sarai thy wife, thou shalt call her name Sarah. Name Sarah by Sarah. Thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be. Uh And I will bless her and give thee a son. I will. And I will. What? I will give thee a son. Read. Also of her, ye or yea, I will, yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations, kings, and of people shall be of her. So God said to Abraham, "I'm going to give you a son." You want to tell me that John 3.16, God gave his son, that because God gave a son, that means that Christ was existing with the Father before Bethlehem. If that's what giving a son means, then evidently Isaac was with the Father before he was born. All right? I'm telling you, church, you can't take words like that and twist them to fit your doctrine. When God gave a son, he meant just that. God's the one who allowed her to be able to receive strength to conceive seed. It was God that put life, amen, into that baby. It was God that provided the miracle that needed to happen so that she could become a mama. Are you hearing me? It's not a fact of him existing before. When God gave a son, he simply performed a miracle. That allowed the process to happen. So when John 3.16 says God so loved the world that he 
gave his son. It doesn't mean there's two of them in heaven and God sends one of them to the earth. It means God performed a miracle. Who did he give the son to? Well, first of all, he gave the son to Mary. Right? He gave the son to Mary. But he didn't just give the son to Mary. He gave the son to the whole world. How did he do that? Because he sent him here. He created within the womb something that had never happened before. Reached down to a little virgin girl that had never known a man and caused her to conceive seed. And God said, I'm going to do something I've never done before. He gave a son. Not a pre-existent second person. Well, hallelujah. Praise God. Same thing's true. Genesis 48, verse 9. Genesis 48, verse 9. And Joseph said unto his father, They are my sons, whom God hath given me in this place. And he said, Bring them, I pray thee, unto me, and I will bless them. I just want to show you. Joseph... Is, is, this, is, this is when Joseph is in Egypt, and his dad has come down now. His dad's an old man, and, and his dad comes up, and, and Joseph wants to introduce Jacob to Ephraim and Manasseh. And, and uh, Jacob says, who are these? He's talking to his son Joseph. And he said, who are these? And Joseph said, I'll tell you who they are. These are the sons whom God hath given me. So God gave Joseph sons, right? So if God gave sons, does that mean Ephraim and Manasseh existed in heaven before they were born? Let's be consistent with our interpretation of the Scripture, all right? I'm telling you, we do not believe the Scripture does not teach that there was a pre-existent Son of God. The Bible says when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman. Made of a, the Bible says he was made of a woman. He was made of a woman. So I'm telling you, if he pre-existed, the woman had to pre-exist. Because the son was made of a woman. Well, hallelujah. Amen. This is not, this is not, we, we don't believe in the eternal. In fact, put John 3.16 back up there. I'm not done with that one. We don't believe in the eternal son of God. We don't believe in the eternal Son of God. Because that's not what the Bible calls him. Read John 3, 3.16 for me again. For God so loved, for the, God world so loved the world that he gave that his, he gave only, his only eternal Son. His only what? God. Begotten Son. That which is begotten has a beginning. That which is eternal does not have a beginning, but that which is begotten does. If you are begotten, you're not eternal. If you're eternal, you're not begotten. The Bible never calls him the eternal son of God, but it does call him the begotten son of God. Right. All right? So don't, don't try. And in fact, I think we've already dealt with in one of our previous lessons when we're talking about the son being the flesh. You can go back and get those lessons uh, on, on CD or thumb drive or whatever. But we dealt with the references from the Old Testament uh, that, that seem to refer to the Son of God. Uh, for instance, with, with um, the three Hebrews coming out of the fire, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the King James says, the fourth is like the Son of God. We dealt with that. We dealt with that. It was not a pre-existent Christ. Now, God has always existed. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? We talk about Christ, we're talking about the Son, and the Son is the flesh. So we talk about Christ, that's the Son. That's the flesh. And the flesh did not always exist. The flesh didn't appear in the fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar, in fact, the original Hebrew says, the fourth is like a son of the gods. That's what the Hebrew says. Nebuchadnezzar didn't know anything about a son of God. He wasn't talking about Christ. Amen. He was trying to explain what he saw in the best terms he knew how. And these pagans believed that gods came down to earth, had relationships with men or with women, and, and, and had half God, half human children. And they were called sons of gods. And so Nebuchadnezzar saw something in the furnace, didn't really look fully divine, and yet it certainly wasn't human. And so he said, this looks like a son of the gods. All right? So, so, so the, we don't find in the scripture a pre-existent Christ. All right? So don't use sent and gave as proof of that. Now, let's talk about another one here that is, uh, in, in my time, this may be as far as we get. Maybe, maybe the next two, maybe as far as we get. Um, and then and next week we'll deal with the right hand of God. Uh, let's, let's talk about this. Let's go now. We're going to another subject. Uh, Luke chapter 22. Luke 22, verses 41 and 42. Luke 22, verses 41 and 42. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not thy, my will, but thine will be done. All right, so he said, uh, the Bible says that Jesus went and knelt down and prayed to the Father. And so Trinitarians like to take me to this passage and say it's very clear here that you've got one person of the Godhead praying to another person in the Godhead. They say that's very clear. The second person is praying to the first and asking that if the first is willing that he would remove this cup, but yet the second is, is saying, it, regardless of what you do, let your will be done. I'm just the second anyhow. So, so whatever you want, that's fine, and I'm second here. And, and so they see this as proof that there's two persons in the Godhead. Now, I want to tell you that to me, this passage is more of a problem for the doctrine of the Trinity than it is for the doctrine of the oneness of God. And here's why. The doctrine of the Trinity states that God is three persons who are co-equal. Of course, now look, this is how contradictory this thing gets. There are three persons, they're co-equal, but one of them's first, one second, one's third. That doesn't sound very equal to me. All right? But that's what they say, they're co-equal. Now, the problem with this passage and the Trinity is this. If, if the Son is equal to the Father, please tell me why he had to have the Father's help. If he's equal to the Father, why is it the Father's will is more important than his will? Are you with me? Three of you are. Where are the rest of you? Are you with me this morning? If they are equal, please tell me why the second person had to submit to the will of the first. 
That's not equality. If they are equal, why did the second person have to ask for help from the first? That's not equality. This is not one person in the Godhead praying to another person. What is it? I've told you. You can find your answer in any one of those four principles. So let's talk about the principles and find the answer. First of all, there's only one God. Right. Secondly, anytime we read Father, we should think, Whoa, I think we're on to something here. Anytime we read Father, we think Spirit. Spirit. When we read Son, we think Flesh. So what do we have going on here in the garden? Not one person praying to another, but we've got the flesh of Christ asking for help from the indwelling Spirit. That's why the will of the Spirit was more important than the will of the flesh. Right. In fact, Jesus himself made reference to this very principle when he said in Matthew 26 and 41, Watch and pray. Watch and pray. That you enter that you not, enter into, not temptation. into temptation. The spirit indeed the spirit is willing. Is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is what's weak. It's the flesh that needs help. It's the flesh that's got to be subjected. It's the flesh that's got to be put under. The spirit's ready to do it, but there's a problem with the flesh. And so what was going on in Gethsemane was not one person praying to another, but it was that flesh saying, if I'm going to do this job, i got to have the help of the Spirit to get it done. Oh, hallelujah. In fact, that... Let, let, let me... Let's go John fourteen twenty eight. Look, the doctrine of the Trinity says that the three persons are co Equal. Everyone say co-equal. You understand what that means? One's not greater than the other one. They are co-equal. All right? Here's the problem. Here's the problem with that doctrine of co-equality. Jesus said in John 14, 28, Ye have heard how I said unto you, I will go away and come again unto you. If you loved me, you would rejoice, because I said, I go unto the Father. Now, get this last statement. For my Father, For my father is greater, is greater than, I. than I. That doesn't sound like co-equality to me. He didn't say the Father and I are equal with one another. He said the Father's greater than I am. What's that mean? Not one person's greater than the other. He's talking when we read Father, we think. When we read Son, we think. So what did he say when he said, my father is greater than I? He's saying the spirit is greater than the flesh. See, the spirit didn't have to be born. The spirit never died. The spirit didn't suffer, but the flesh did. The spirit is greater than the flesh. Hallelujah. That's why Jesus said, the works that I do, I do not of myself, but my Father which dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. What's he saying when he says that? He's simply saying, it's not being done by the power of my flesh. It's not my flesh that's healing the sick. It's not my flesh that's raising the dead. But I'll tell you what is doing it. The Spirit that dwells in me, that's what's doing the work. Father and Son are not co-equal because Father means Spirit. Son is flesh. They are not co-equal. So Jesus praying in the garden is a bigger problem for them than it is for me. And in fact, that brings us to the next point. I'll close with this one. 
and that is that is Mark 13 and 32. I was actually at a at a, um, a meeting one time. This has been several years ago. I think it was at a concert or something. I don't remember now what it was, but but we'd gone and we we were a little late getting into the auditorium and 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 we got there and they were already up singing and and uh, when when they got through when they got through one of the men uh, decided to pray the closing prayer and and as he was praying um, he he said oh Father Jesus would you have, and, and I don't even know what else he said I just heard him say oh Father Jesus that's all I remember. Because that lodged in my mind, and I thought, now that's unusual. That's unusual. This wasn't an apostolic group, and, and I'm, I'm hearing him say, Father Jesus. That's unusual. I need to find out what's going on here. And uh, so after it was all over with, they were at their table, and, and I, I went over there and stood in line to talk to them. And, and I could see they were standing down there, and I mean, they were laughing. They were hee-hawing. They were, they were having a big time, and, and uh, I mean... Something was really, really funny. And uh, finally, I worked my way up, and, and I said, I want to ask you guys a question. I said, okay. I looked at the man who prayed. I said, when you prayed, you said, Father Jesus, are you oneness? And, boy, they started laughing, and they said, oh, no. No, so that's what we were doing. So we were just standing here laughing, making fun of him for saying that. He said, oh, he said, man, I got so nervous, I didn't know what I was saying. He said, no. He said, I, I'm not oneness. And they laughed. And I stood there. When they got through, I said, well, I am. And all of a sudden, the laughter stopped. It wasn't quite so funny anymore. And uh, a man standing next to me, who was not a part of the group, uh, he looked at me. He said, I used to wonder about that oneness doctrine. He said, until I read what Jesus said about the day and the hour. So let's, let's go there. Mark 13 and verse 32. Here's, here's what he said convinced him that there could not be just one God. Mark 13, 32. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man. No man. No, not the angels which are in heaven. heaven. Neither the Son, son, but the Father. Father. All right? So he said, when I read that the the Father knows something the Son doesn't know, I knew right then they could not be the same one. And so I just smiled, and I said, sir, that verse is more of a problem for you than it is for me. He said, how's that? I said, because you believe that the Father and the Son are co-equal. And if they're co-equal, how could one know something the other does not know? That doesn't sound like co-equality to me. But I'll tell you why it's not a problem for me. Because when we read Father, we think, When we read Son, we think, here's where the principles kick in. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the flesh, but the Spirit. I don't know that day based on my flesh. It's not a human earthly knowledge that I possess. But I can tell you this, the spirit that's dwelling inside of me knows everything there is to know. There's no question when it comes to the Spirit. 
Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. I'm telling you, church. Amen. We don't have to cower down to some false doctrine. I'm telling you, we can understand and know, amen, that God was manifest in the flesh. Amen. The only God that ever existed took upon himself a human form. Not one person sending another, but the only God that's ever been in heaven. Amen. Took on a human form and came to this earth in order to bleed and die for us. Oh, let's stand this morning. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Let's lift our hands. Let's love the Lord together. Praise God. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Come on, let's love him. Let's love him. Let's love him. Hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Now, Lord willing, Lord willing, next week. Next week, i got two that I want to deal with. I'm, I imagine that's all we're going to have time for. I'm going to talk about the right hand of God, specifically the vision that Stephen had. He looked up into heaven saw Jesus standing. The right hand of God. Talk about that, and then I want to talk about Jesus' prayer on the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I imagine that's all we'll have time to deal with next week. Amen. But suffice it to say, church, I'm telling you, it's not a complicated thing. If we believe this simple doctrine that there's only one God, that God we call the Father is a spirit. And the spirit took on flesh, and we call that fleshly coat the Son then we've got no problem with any passage of Scripture that's in the Bible. It's not complicated. It's not hard to understand. You should not, you should not be stumped by anything you read. If you'll apply these principles. You'll find the answer. It's all right there. Praise God. I'm glad I know who Jesus is. How about you? Can we love him one more time? Let's love him one more time. Hallelujah. Come on, let's give God some praise this morning. Let's give God praise this morning. Oh, God. God help us. God help us. God help us. Oh, we need you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Why don't we gather around the front? Let's close this service out with a time, amen, of of just thanking God for this glorious truth. Let's thank God for the revelation of who he is. Amen. Praise God. I love you, Jesus.